Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, your life improvement series starts now. Hello, hello, Heal Squad. It's going to be a great day. You know why? Because Dr. Allison's here. Well, it's going to be a great day because when you know better, you get better. And that's what we do here every single day. And we're doing it together because we are better together. And today we are very lucky and excited to have my naturopath, Dr. Allison Monette on the show. It's been a long time coming. Guys, she is brilliant. And you're going to get to hear a lot of her brilliance today. We'll start with our quote of the day. It's one of my favorites. Let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And that is uh, from Hippocrates, another Greek. Uh, Anyhow, uh, I'm super, super excited. We had a really good discussion that just kept going and going and going. And so it's a two-parter, friends. So we have the first part, and then we're going to have the second part. And um, I'm really excited. I think the first part is really kind of breaking down her journey to naturopath work, what the difference is between naturopaths and functional medicine doctors and regular doctors and how we all can be a team, but we just need to know what everybody's good at. And uh, we talk about the circadian rhythm and why that's so important for our bodies and our healing as well. Uh, We talk in the second part about kind of food and water and magnetism and all the things that we didn't know about water um, that are pretty uh, pretty cool. So in the meantime, before we get to that, I do want to remind you, friends, um, obviously Macy's is uh, our partner on this show and we're so grateful for them. Um, we do have the macy's.com backslash heel squad link that you can shop and support us. Uh, I've chosen a lot of really cool items. I know it's the holidays. So there's a lot of things you need to buy. Hopefully I've picked some things that might help you in that journey. And uh, then in return, you help us by uh, buying through this link. So if you're going to buy anything at Macy's, just use Heal Squad. Uh, It's macy's.com backslash Heal Squad. And then that supports the show. So thank you for that. 
Uh, let me give you a little bit about Dr. Allison before we start. So she is known by many for her healing miracles when other doctors have not been able to provide the answers to what a patient is actually looking for. She's a nationally board certified licensed naturopathic physician and a registered dietitian. Uh, you're going to hear all about her journey and how she kind of um, came to be in this work and founded her um, health center, Avena Integrative Medical Center in Connecticut. Unlike other doctors, Dr. Allison uses a thorough intake process. So we're going to take a short break when we come back, Dr. Allison. Allison, I feel like this is the moment we've all been waiting for. So I've been talking about you to the Heal Squad since June when we started working together. And I have been telling them about how life-changing you've been and just kind of this whole new world that's opened up to me now that... I, I knew was out there. I just didn't know who the one was and you were the one and everyone's been so excited to hear from you. And so I think we should start with your journey to becoming a naturopath and then we'll explain what a naturopath is for everybody and the differences between, you know, you and maybe a functional medicine doctor. When you're on the go 24 seven, like me guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. Because I really want to educate people on maybe what they're missing that they didn't even realize was out there. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to join and just work with your crew. Um, you know, great question. It's been such a journey for me. I always had the goal of becoming a doctor. I actually always thought that would look like a modern physician, very much the traditional sense. And it really wasn't until I was doing all my pre-med that I 
actually realized that what I wanted to do was actually not really aligned with that traditional system. I always had the idea in my head that I would be a bit closer to like the old school doc that would do home visits and see everyone in a, in a family and see friends and see coworkers. And then when I actually started talking to physicians and people I knew that were in the field, they all kind of crushed my soul and told me that that was not what the reality was of medicine. And it really made me think twice, many times where I wanted to go. Thankfully, that was around my junior year in college. So I had the plan of going to medical school, again, in the traditional sense. But at that point, I was offered the opportunity to look at other options. And first, I was thinking maybe I would go down the route of like an alternative type of residency. But again, the people close to me said, I don't think that's a great idea. If you learn a philosophy from the beginning of medical school, it's really hard to change your mindset once you're done and then go into residency. So I started researching and I can't believe I I can say this, that I had never heard of naturopathic medicine prior to that year. That was actually the year 2000. So, you know, quite a long time ago, but I grew up and, you know, still currently live in Connecticut. And it's a state that naturopathic medicine has been licensed in for many, many, many years. So I can't believe I had never heard about it, but where I grew up in the state, which is where I am now in the Northeast corner, there were no naturopathic physicians. So it was just not something I had come in contact with. And thankfully, one of my classmates who I can't, I mean, it was so random. We were in one class together. It was a nutrition class because at the time I was doing my pre-med actually in a coordinated registered dietitian program because it fit all the pre-med and I wanted to get some patient contact while I was still in college. So I figured it was a good place to start to see if I actually liked working with patients. Um, And at that point, I was really interested in nutrition. So I figured, oh, I'm going to learn about nutrition while I'm in my undergrad which will help me before medical school. And thankfully, that that one person in my class said to me, oh, it sounds like you need to go to naturopathic medical school. Like, that's exactly what you're talking about. When I we were just talking about how I couldn't believe there weren't really nutrition uh, classes when you went to medical school. Maybe there were like a couple of electives, but how could that not be part of the core program? So my discovery le- led me to the fact that there were only four naturopathic medical schools that were actually at that point in existence. And one was in Connecticut. Um, the other were all mm-hmm. on the West Coast. And I, at that point, said, you know what? I'm going to go wherever it's the warmest. And so the option was Arizona. And I I applied. Um, I, was, I was accepted. And I just took the leap of faith. You know, thankfully, I, I went right out of college and, you know, I was, I guess, fairly younger for college to be over. So I figured I had nothing to lose. If it didn't work out, I could always change the course and go, you know, to a traditional medical school. But long story short, it was the best decision I ever made. It really, from the very beginning, 
felt like the right fit and um, graduated in 2006. And, you know, for, for quite a long time, I felt like I would stay on the West Coast, given that it's a little more accepting to naturopathic medicine. And at that point was sort of the beginning of functional medicine also growing. So there was a lot of newness in the alternative medical world. And unfortunately, on the East Coast, alternative medicine still had, I felt like a lot of like negative kind of connotation. It was, it was a little bit more difficult. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to totally be, you know, a groundbreaking doctor in my area and have to educate people <laughs> on what I was doing. But I ended up getting pulled back to the East Coast um, for family and, you know, and and not really wanting to have to travel the six hours back and forth constantly. And then I really felt like if I didn't come back to my area where I grew up, that maybe no one ever would. And then how could this medicine spread to the East Coast? Because it was already pretty accepted on the West Coast. So I, I came back, um, started my practice in 2006, officially saw my first patient in 2007, um, because I actually chose to do um, insurance coverage. So that took a while to get credentialed and do all of those types of things. Um, but started early 2007. And really, I mean, I'm amazed that everyone in, in my area here, it, it took about five years to get really accepted by the community as a whole. But that's really more the the medical community. The patients were there from the very beginning. You know, really people not not knowing that this type of medicine actually existed. And then when they realized it did, it was exactly what they felt they were looking for. And I remember my first couple of years in practice, so many times that I hear patients say, I didn't even know this kind of medicine existed. Like, how could I not know this? Like, you know, we're, we're in modern times here where we have access to all this information. It is really unfortunate that most people only learn about this option, you know, through others, or maybe now through a little frustration of not getting answers and looking at other options. Um, fortunately, you know, functional medicine is becoming a little bit more of a buzzword. Um, and now people are are knowing there's kind of that alternative option, um, but it's still a little confusing. And um, and I know you asked about like how how to really compare all the options: functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, and and that's a really great question because it's a little confusing in the space, knowing that there is a, there are a lot of alternatives other than the modern medical way. Um, but that can be very confusing as a patient, as a as a person looking for someone to help them, that you may need to just find the right practitioner for you um, that's really aligning with your health goals because it can mean so many different things, especially um, the functional medicine label, the naturopathic label. Um, many of us do so many different things that it makes each of our practices so unique. So what is the difference um, between naturopathic and functional? Because I feel like my knowing of it is that functional is a little bit more mixed with Western. Yes. 
Okay. Yeah. So great question. <laughs> you know, so interestingly, when I first went to medical school, the the functional medicine label was in existence, but it really was in its infancy and didn't really have traction. So naturopathic medicine was the term, the the type of medical education that existed at that point, which really is a completely separate medical school. And and that is unique in the sense that from day one in medical school, you are learning very much that that traditional medical medical school program at that first two years. But then the second two years are really dedicated toward the practice of naturopathic medicine as it exists, where it's very much the root cause type treatment of the patient. So most naturopathic physicians aren't specializing in certain areas of medicine. Most of us are, I would say, more generalists where we are seeing patients of all ages, of all walks. Um, you know, it, it's becoming a field where there is some specialization. So maybe you might have a naturopathic physician who loves working with GI disorders or cardiovascular. Um, I myself consider, I, I, I consider myself a generalist where I see I, I see newborns. I have a 99-year-old patient. I see anything that walks in the door. Um, but naturopathic medicine, you can only say you're a naturopathic physician if you've gone to a naturopathic medical school, have passed those boards. So we're considered in Connecticut, I'm a licensed physician, but I am separate from the MDs and the DOs. Now, the functional medicine umbrella was really developed more for traditional medical physician. So, so those trained under the traditional modalities to then get education slightly more aligned to the naturopathic medical system. So when I first started going to like continuing education things and seminars and and things like that. Um, IFM, which is the Institute for Functional Medicine, really grew the term. Um, The father is, is Jeff Bland and many of those in functional medicine know of him. And that, that whole, um, IFM is just amazing where they've trained so many doctors, physicians to then understand more of these root cause modalities and more in the naturopathic medical realm. But there's a little bit of the the confusion because a lot of functional medicine doctors are getting training after they've graduated from medical school to then practice a little bit more like naturopathic medicine. But now it's a little confusing because you can be functionally medicine trained, but I know I have colleagues that go through it. You can be a nurse practitioner. You could be a registered dietitian. You could be an MD, a DO. So it's getting a bit confusing because it can mean a lot of things. Yeah, I feel like, um, yeah, it, it is confusing. And I feel like I, what I want to know is, the regular medical system, when you're trained under them, do they do anything to teach you about the root cause? What is the actual kind of process of teaching for medical schools? Because I think once people understand 
what, what and how they're learning. And then you see what and how the naturopaths are learning. You'll really understand the strengths of everybody. Cause I always say, you got to look at your health. Like you're the CEO and where are you putting your different people? Like, or imagine you're the coach of a football team. You're not going to put the kicker at the quarterback. Quarterback's not going to be in defensive. So with Western medicine, there's obviously a place for it. And, and they're amazing at what they do. They're amazing diagnosers. They're amazing at stitching us up in an emergency. You're not stitching me up if I you know, get into a car crash. That's not what you do. But um, And they're great at pairing an illness with medication, whether you like that or not. Um, so there's, there's things like that. But healing, I have not found that to be the case. They have their standards of care. If you have cancer, it's chemo radiation, you're out the door or some experimental stuff. If they have no idea about optimizing the immune system so that you can handle the barrage of treatments, they don't do that stuff. They don't do the root cause and try to figure that out. They don't try to optimize your blood work so that if this is off and then that sets this off and then that sets the next thing off, if we just fix this, then all those things will fall into place like you do. So I want to kind of understand that for people as well. Yeah, you know, if you go back into the history of medicine, I I think that it would be mind-blowing for you to, you know, to realize that in medical school, both naturopathic medical school and traditional medical school, you know, we're really not taught the history of medicine. And I say that as being so important because if we look back, there was a moment in time where medicine made a decision and the decision was really more around creating customers to, to create people that became part of the system that unfortunately kind of had to go under the agenda of, of big pharma, um, which if we look at the amount of money now spent in that area, it's just unbelievable how much money is infused into medicine and care of disease states instead of putting that money toward prevention and understanding the root cause. So if you kind of go back into medical history, that is its own topic and really fascinating. There seemed to be quite a, a, a change of things after there was a, a famous thing called the Flexner Report where that's when medical curriculum started to adjust to actually then teach those physicians how to prescribe, how to treat disease, not really focusing on prevention because we definitely know in medicine that we you make the most money from prescribing, from doing the surgeries, from, from doing these things that are not about having people stay well and then not have to be inserted into that system. So I have to say, I see a new perspective. By the way, my, my coach analogy earlier, I didn't finish, is you need to know where you're using your players. So Western medicine has its place. Naturopathic has its place. We use this and we make a team. But I feel like going off of what you said about how they're taught to prescribe, 
I believe that they're probably taught by these pharmaceutical companies. Here's the medicine and here are the side effects. And they just have to trust them. And they do because when you go and they're like, oh, well, is this going to be okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. You're going to be fine. No big deal. And it's because they were taught that, not because they actually have done the research and they know that. No, you're so right. I mean, the, yeah, the programs work so well at really teaching traditional doctors to understand and and feel strongly that it's the right thing to do. And it's it's what's in their toolbox. That's what they're given. And there is a place for it. I mean, I I can say that looking at a lot of like the smaller hospitals and communities, you can see where a lot of what they're doing is emergency care now. You know, the emergency rooms are getting bigger and the other parts of the hospitals are getting smaller. And that's really getting sent out to the larger hospitals and cities where that's important. You know, the value of, of traditional medicine is really in that type of medicine. Again, like you said, if, if you get an accident, I really hope my friends in the ER that can stitch me up. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that's the really important thing to understand is that we all have our roles. I think what's happening in medicine is that the old school, like primary care physician that really took care of you for your whole life is is not really existing as it as it existed years ago and and I'm fortunate to say that my growing up the reason why I love medicine so much is that my mom managed a primary care office and it was very old school he owned his own practice his you know wife worked at the office my mom was kind of the front desk she managed everything and that's what I grew up knowing. And I always remember her saying like, oh, you know, this family came in today and and people stayed with him forever. They they joined his practice from day one. Mm -hmm. He retired. He had had patients for years. I mean, that just does not exist anymore. And I think that's really where functional medicine is starting to come, come in because I have patients, I mean, every day just saying, I don't know my primary care anymore because either they've left, they left their practice. You know, now a lot of primary cares no longer own their own practice. You know, it used to be that they own their own practices and really could could do what they wanted to do. Of course, it was mostly under the insurance umbrella. So to some degree, you are being told what to do based on getting paid by the insurance companies. Um, but now that's not the case. Most primary care doctors actually work for systems. They work for hospital systems, larger group practices. They don't actually do anything on their own. So so now they don't really have that investment. So they're maybe at a place for a couple of years and they they leave. They mm. they go into a different specialty. And that's really sad because I can see patients really want that connection with their doctor to be able to sit down, you know, have more than three minutes and be able to really connect so you can know what they need, you know how to adjust, how to adapt. And that's where I really feel like naturopathic medicine, functional medicine are finding their way in this kind of medical world that exists now, not taking the place of any of that other side of medicine that we still need. I mean, we need these specialists to 
maybe do, uh, you know, the, the imaging that's more detailed and looking at that and oncology, you know, and all these, these different specialties where we can work in adjunct, but it's really, it should be a team and it really should mm-hmm. be about using everyone for what they're best at. But that's why I feel like it's so important that we are sharing this because no one's talking about this. And this way, people don't think it has to be a this or that. Yeah. It is a team and you just got to know where you're putting your players. Um, I will say for the fun of the audience, uh, her mom is her front desk uh, secretary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we love your mom and your daughter's always there, Jeva, as well, which is super cute. It's a very familial vibe. How long do you spend with patients? Share with everybody. Because most yeah. people, I mean, it's it's really 15, 20 minutes. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I always pretty much schedule, you know, for first visit, 75 minutes, you know, give or take, you know, if, if a patient needs more, um, you know, they will get more. I, ha- you know, I'm fortunate that I'm very busy. So I schedule back to back to back. So it's, it's important to kind of stay within those time constraints, but I do feel like 75 minutes is such a must for that first visit. Mm-hmm. Normally, a second visit where we have a lot to go over will be closer to an hour. And then typical follow-ups are about 45 minutes. It's very rare that I'm spending less time than that with a patient. Um, and I I enjoy being able to, to do that because I do feel like, patients really know intuitively what's not going well for them health-wise. And it takes a little while to get that out of them, to really have them kind of talk through and make sense of it in their head. And I can just see patients opening up normally after about 20 minutes when they're starting to make the connections. So it's a much longer visit than most people are used to in any traditional medical sense which is what I love. Um, And so I feel like that kind of really sets the stage for everybody of like who you are, how you came to be and your mission to help bring this to the East coast. And I feel like you have uh, succeeded wildly in it. And we're going to continue to amplify your message uh, through this show, obviously. So now what I would love to share with everybody is a little bit of kind of the basic, um, the basic, but not basic things that you super believe in, in your research. Cause you are such a research nerd. I love it because I am also a research nerd. Um, but you're like on a whole other level. You're like my, my icon. I'm going <laughs> to aspire to be even better about, but, um, I feel like after working with you, the big ticket items have been resetting your circadian rhythm, blue light, which is why I'm wearing my blue light glasses when I do the show now, um, red light therapy, um, and supplemental, like looking at the blood work and looking at where you are needing that support. But I want to know the process behind that too. So, and I might be missing stuff that might've just been for me, there might be some other big ticket items that you see are consistent with people. 
So I feel like a lot of the stuff when I share it with people, they're like, wait, what? Circadian rhythm? Like it's starting to be a thing. Right. Uh, and blue light, I thought was a total farce. I thought it was a marketing play by glass companies to want us to buy them. When Kelsey first had them, I'm like, oh God, poor Kelsey. She fell into the trap. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kelsey, you were ahead and I was behind. Um, but, um, but yeah, I feel like a lot of these things are even cost effective and, and simple to do. So I'll let you kind of take it from there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, you know, great, great questions. I, I will say that I feel fortunate that I'm at this point in my career where I have worked with so many patients and been able to really assess so many people's personal health experiments that it's really led me to understanding the deeper human health at a whole nother level than when I first started in practice. So some of the things that that we've worked together with are really from my learning through many years in practice, what really needed to happen for people to set the stage for their wellness to occur. And some of it came about because, you know, and and it's hard to, I I think back to like when that moment happened, I will say when I first started practicing in 2007, it was a little easier to get patients healthy using more simple tools of just changing the diet and cleaning up a little bit of the lifestyle in the last 15 years, it's gotten a little bit more challenging. And that's probably a topic for another another day. But the fact that we in this modern world have so many more things confusing our biology are then making some of those simple tools not work so well. And this is why you mentioned some of the core things that we need to to work on with every patient is circadian biology and understanding the light environment. Because I came to realize that was the game changer for how patients actually responded to the things that I was telling them. I just got the chills. I got the truth chills. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. And and you don't have to go so deep into it, but I think you know, what you're probably getting at is that in the last 15 years, I mean, we've got iPhones, we've got all this technology and the technology is about to advance. I mean, we're going to go into light year experiences where it's going to like, I mean, crazy, amazing advances are about to click. And I mean, I feel like I'm going to be able to like go to the moon anytime I want. Like it's (laughs) going to be that insane. Um, And so she, just so you guys know, is sitting in her backyard in the woods. It's 50 degrees there. It's beautiful. But she had to set up her Wi-Fi just to do this because she doesn't have Wi-Fi in her house because she knows from her research how intense we are surrounded by all this light, all this you know unnatural light, all these Wi-Fi, all these devices. And so um, she had to set it up just for this. But um, you can share a little bit about what has been affecting our biology and then what you're doing to kind of counter the effects. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, the, the really important thing that I started recognizing was that 
when patients weren't responding how I expected them to respond, I started digging into their lifestyle more, really trying to understand what was happening. And it really started to be noticeable around 2013, 2014, that I was getting patients that just didn't seem to be responding like I had it like normally expected. And what seemed to be a real commonality was what they were doing in really their daily life, how they were operating in their daily life. These were a lot of people who had to use their computers for work pretty exclusively. Um, A lot of them were not getting outside very much, stuck inside, really poor sleep cycles. I mean, a lot of common links. And and I feel like we could probably think about our daily life and how tuned that is to the normal, so to speak. And that's kind of now the normal, right? That we aren't really thinking about how we're living our day because the day really for most people is you know, you wake up in the morning, you, it's a crazy morning, you're getting to, to your day or whatever it might look like, work, school. There's not really any time to think about what's happening in the morning. You do your day. Maybe the first time you have a moment to relax is at night. And maybe by then it's already dark. So so I say that because I really started recognizing it. I would say that I even didn't fully understand the breadth of it until a few more years into really thinking about it. And I blame, I, you know, I, I actually had my daughter in 2015. So it was a little bit of a distraction from research. And I say that because I love to read. I love to research. I just, I have a huge library. I mean, and, and I took a little pause in those years because there wasn't a lot of extra time. And then once I, came back to having a little bit more time as she grew older. It was really 2018, 2019 that I started recognizing like this was a big problem. But then I even realized for myself that like, how how do you even start to fix this? How do you start to understand this more? So I actually started looking at my patients and having them do testing to evaluate their circadian rhythm. And as I started testing it in all of my patients, that really just blew my mind how abnormal everyone's circadian rhythm was. (laughs) So then I started really digging and seeing Okay, not that we, so this is what I would say, is that everyone was abnormal. I rarely had a normal circadian rhythm, but I took it as a very important task to figure out what were the most meaningful steps to actually reset that. Because I knew the reality wasn't that I was going to tell patients to go live outside and pitch a tent and (laughs) and be able to like have their circadian rhythm work. I mean, we're all... I mean, look how great this is. We can use technology to connect. You're you're in California. I'm in Connecticut. I mean, this is the value of technology. We don't want that to go away. But I also realize that we have to find that balance of using it to support things, but then knowing how you personally can disconnect from it to be able to have your health thrive. So... If we look, though, at 
all of the things that you're doing to support your health, if your body doesn't know what time of the day it is and isn't actually tuned to that 24-hour rhythm, a lot of the things that you could be doing fail. And that's where I feel like a lot of a lot of my patients who maybe are new patients, maybe they've experienced functional medicine before. Um, now a lot of people are able to do their own research. So I have a lot of patients coming in new to me that they've done years of their own research and they're just starting to realize that, okay, there's something more to my story that I'm missing. And that's really where I come in to help them recreate their health at that deeper level. But that circadian rhythm, resetting that and making sure that that is working robustly, then is the game changer for everything else they're doing. So then you mentioned like, okay, thinking about your light environment. If Actually, hold on. I have more circadian rhythm questions. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so explain what exactly it is and where we're going wrong. Like, what does it mean that our body doesn't know what time it is? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so actually, I mean, this is really cool science, but we are all built with a central clock in our brain. It's called the SCN, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. It helps run our entire body. Every cell in your body actually has its own clock, and there, there are clock genes in front of every set of genes. Like our body tunes to that central clock in our brain. Now, in a good working body, that clock is set every day by your environmental cues. It wants to run at 24 hours. And that's because our light and dark schedule is 24 hours. But our circadian clock only runs in that 24 hours if we set it with light and darkness. If we do not, then it will run out of tune. And if that brain clock runs out of tune, it will not sync with our peripheral clocks that are in all of our cells, all of our organs, all of our systems. It's, you know, interestingly, we we know these things work in all of our technology, but we don't realize that what's running on our phone to tell us GPS is actually the reason why it works in our body too. We just have never learned these things. And I really wish that we learned these things from when we were in third grade, fourth grade. Like, why are we not learning about these simple things about human biology from the very beginning? Because if we just understood that our body needs to be set every day with the proper morning light. And and I say that because it cannot be just light that you see from inside your house. You know, it needs to be full spectrum, unimpeded light that's going into your eyes, but also on your skin. If you can, you know, if it's if it's warm enough to tolerate it, then you want your skin solar panel to get it too. But that actually sets your your body's clock to know 24 hours is starting. And as long as you pair that with proper darkness, your body knows what to do at the right time. Every one of your cells, every one of your systems, it's an amazing thing that the body wants to work properly 
And it doesn't need much to actually set that. We run out of tune with every day we live if we don't actually set it every day. But how much time do you have to set it in the morning? Like, listen, people already can't get to work on time. They're like, they can't even eat breakfast. Like we need them to eat breakfast too. And they can't (laughs) even eat breakfast because, you know, they have to be at work so early and they're rushing. So what is like the minimum amount they can do to set their, reset their circadian rhythm, at least in the morning, then we'll get to the night stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, I can tell you from, again, working with patients, I am so surprised by how little time is actually needed to create a real actionable response. I always tell patients the same thing. I tell them to wake up around the time of sunrise and go outside for about 12 minutes. The purpose of that is to hope that all of your body's blood flow can get into that or flow through that retina and get that download from the sun at that time. However, when patients come back in, sometimes they'll say to me, well, I I got maybe three minutes. I got five minutes. A lot of times I have patients, though, that really feel so good doing it. They'll tell me they spend much longer than that 12 minutes. But the point of me saying that is any time is better than no time, but it needs to be full spectrum So that means no contacts, no glasses, no sunglasses, nothing between your eyes and that full spectrum sunlight. So it has to be outside. It cannot be through a window. It cannot be through a screen. Now, you know, is a screen better than nothing? You know, I do. I have some elderly patients that it's not really safe for them to walk outside in the middle of the winter by themselves. So I have them go out on their sun porch and at least there's a screen. But anyways, the answer is it's really not much time. If we really, really think about how much time is in our full day, if you can take that 12 minutes and find your body outside as close as possible to sunrise, that is the most important download that you can offer your brain circadian clock every single day. What if it's cloudy? rainy, or you live in a place that doesn't really get sun? Yeah, great question. It actually doesn't matter. So if we had a spectroscope that were actually measure the color temperature of the of the air that you're experiencing, when that sun is out, everything that you're experiencing when you're outside matches the correct color spectrum. So on a rainy day, on a snowy day, on a cloudy day, we consider that to be a red light day. So you're always getting the red light spectrum. It just may be a little bit more red light on those days, which is actually basically free healing energy that our mitochondria run on. So we always need it and we can always use it and it's always available. Cool. Okay. What if you live in a place where they don't have like the, the darkness is more than the light? I, you know, I feel for, for some of those people. (laughs) So yeah, the challenge there is that you still then want to experience that sunrise time of the, the light spectrum. So if you're having to do your day before the sun has risen, 
then the most important thing is to protect yourself from the indoor artificial light. So like what you're doing, you know, wearing blue blockers, you know, maybe even trying to use like less lighting or using some extra red lights that that you can add to your environment. And then when the sun actually rises, stop what you're doing, go outside for that 12 minutes, get the download, and then go about your day. The advantage for places like that, though, are on the flip side of it, when they have a lot of light for a long period of time, you know, so so they kind of have both ends. They have that that one time of the year where there's a lot of darkness, but then they have the other time of the year where there's a lot of light. That's where they have to take advantage of getting outside as much as possible. But we know from circadian rhythm studies that the ideal that the human body really developed from was equatorial light, where 12 hours of light, 12 hours of dark, perfect circadian rhythm all year long. So we have, of course, been able to adjust away from that. But we were set that way. And we have to then try to take advantage of as much of the light as possible. Because if you look at how much light's available, it's always the same total amount of light all year long, no matter where you live. It's just you might get more in one season, less in another season. So you have to try to get as much as possible when the sun is out longer. Mm. Yeah, Which think about hard. it like your battery yeah. plugging in. Yeah, it's like the I you know I will say you know Connecticut's not terrible. It's it's not optimal either. I often think you know if I could just hop down to the equator for uh, four four weeks, a couple times a year, that probably would be really helpful. Um, but we're fortunate; we don't have extreme darkness. But I will always tell patients to take advantage of summer light that, you know, adjust your schedule as much as possible to go outside as much as you can, as many times of the day you can, because if you can set your circadian rhythm really strongly as much as possible, as many months as you can during the year, you can get by a little bit in the winter when there's less sun. Yeah. What happens at night? So you have to set your circadian in the rhythm in the morning by seeing light first thing. And then how do you handle the nighttime? Yeah. Yeah. So now, you know, once you wake up your circadian rhythm, your body knows what what it should be doing. So now it's, it's running. Every time you go outside when the sun's actually still out, that further sets your circadian rhythm. But then when the sun sets, the body is expecting darkness. And we have a blue light receptor um, that's actually located in our skin as well as our eyes. It's actually located in our subcutaneous fat, um, in the arterioles. It's called melanopsin. And melanopsin is our body's way of understanding our darkness environment. So the melanopsin receptor is looking for blue light because in nature, blue light is the most rare of the light spectrum. And it goes away, of course, when the light sets. But 
if you are experiencing light in any way, so that could be indoors from just overhead lighting, it could be technology use, whatever that looks like. If the sun is set and you're getting artificial blue light exposure, those melanopsin receptors, unfortunately, interpret that as continued daytime and it prevents your melatonin from activating, which then prevents that part of your circadian rhythm from understanding that it should be shifting into the dark mode because there are things that happen differently in your body during that dark period than during that light period. And there's that change program is literally light versus dark that helps us go into that. The darkness is really the most important part of the day for health because that's when the body can activate its healing powers and those processes. But if melatonin isn't allowed to activate, that will not happen. And that's really at the core of of disease generation for a lot of people because if the body isn't able to clean up from the mess of the day, then every night when you're sleeping, you might be sleeping and think you're sleeping, but the body's not cleaning up. So the next day you're waking up with more aging, more disease because you're not actually cleaning up at night. So it makes sense that more people than ever are having a hard time sleeping. Um, Ariana Huffington did this whole book on sleep. And I remember she was saying, you know, you have to put your devices away. You have to actually go to bed um, early. And so the body does have this, but you know, we're on our phones, we're on Instagram, we're doing all these things till late, late at night. And then we wonder why we can't sleep. And then if you can't sleep, that's why the body isn't having its time to heal and to do all of its things. I know that you put me on a different lens at night. So explain. So I wear these during the day when I'm inside around light on technology. And then at night, I switch to these red ones. Kevin makes fun of me. I think he calls me, uh, I don't know. He calls me some crazy <laughs> name. And, uh, and so to explain what that does. Yeah. So, so think about, you know, when the light is out, so when the sun is out, blue light is always available, balanced in the full spectrum. So we are meant to experience native blue light. And that is magical for the body. It makes what happens during the day work correctly. So the blue blockers that you're wearing during the day, they generally I'll recommend offering about a 60 to 70% block. So like even if if you're um, people watching, they'll probably notice that they have a little bit of color, a little bit of tint to the lens. That's important because most of, or I should say all of the clear lenses are likely not offering enough blue light protection for most people's brains. Um, it's offering some, but not quite enough. What we're trying to do is turn down the excessive artificial blue light that you're experiencing during the daytime, not to wipe it out completely, because again, we're actually meant to get some during the day, but but not any from the artificial spectrum. So when you're outside, 
the blue light is changing all day long. Every nanosecond, that blue light spectrum is different. And that's how our body knows what time of the day it is. So when the sun sets, that blue goes away completely. And then the melanopsin receptor can signal to actually activate your melatonin. So the red ones or the amber ones, they're 100% blue block. So now your eyes are not experiencing any of that artificial blue light. So your melatonin hormone can actually start doing its activation. And I say activation because I do believe we get a little confused about melatonin. It's actually, it's, it is the hormone we think about for sleep, but it's really coded for its function during the day based on the light that we're experiencing. And then it's activated at night once we are experiencing that lack of blue light. So, for example, you know, if you're inside, especially this time of the year, I mean, it gets dark so early. I mean, I'm still seeing patients after it, it turns dark here. And so it's important to then find that balance of how can you still live your life and and at least protect yourself in a way that can still offer you health. And the blue blockers are a great way to to help. It's still not perfect and nothing's as perfect as being outside, but it really helps. And I can see the effect on my patients' biomarkers, their symptoms, you know, how their body's recovering. So I do feel really strongly about the use of them. I even feel stronger about the use of them in, in our younger population. So for those that are um, not yet with full myelination of their brain. So really for, for most women who are less than 26, for most men that are less than 28, like it's very, it's a very impressionable time for that artificial blue light to affect the brain. So they need to be wearing them even more than my 99 year old patient. Yeah. We're going to try to get a link and uh, maybe an affiliate discount for our audience so that they can um, order these glasses. So we'll put a link to that once we have it all figured out in the summer. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. What do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code HEELSQUAD for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code HEELSQUAD. Trust me, you won't regret it. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps a bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> 
you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. Marie, um, what do you, how do you handle patients who whose health is, you know, obviously in a, in a not great place, they come to you, but they're a nurse and they have, they work night shifts. How do you handle them? I mean, are they wearing the red glasses while treating patients in the ER, which is all artificial light? And how are they resetting their circadian rhythm? Are they doing it just a different time loop? Oh, that's, that's a tough question. Um, because I can tell you that, it is probably one of the worst professions for health though i and i and it's just it's an unbelievable thing because why have we moved to you know 10 hour 12 hour shifts for our we medical. just talked about this. That's so crazy. Oh, Go really? Ahead. Like, oh gosh. Like, I was like, why do we think that the health professionals who are taking care of us have to burn the candle at both ends, suffer, be so unhealthy, it, so exhausted while they're trying to help us? We have to take care of them so that they can take care of us. So I <laughs> will tell you some of my like most unhealthy coming in the door patients are my nurses, are my uh, mostly hospital, like those that are having to work in the hospital setting patients because they're working these really long shifts. And especially if they're having to work night shift, it is tragic. I I can just tell you so many stories about health issues that I absolutely can tell you are from that shift work. Unfortunately, it's not an easy answer because in some cases, they may have to change what they're doing. They may have to change their shift. They may have to consider their health versus their profession. However, when I have patients that come in early on and they're recognizing things are not going well and they're younger, they haven't been in the profession that long, we can do things to mitigate it. Blue blockers are great. Now, I really support the the nighttime use. The I should say, if you're working at night and you're in a hospital setting, they should wear the 100% blue blocking glasses. I don't convince many of my patients to do that because they feel awkward doing it. But that's where I actually really like the, the Lucia eye ones because they're not super weird looking. Like I like if you if you were to look at some of them, like the yellow lenses, they're tough. I mean, in fact, I actually found the Chia Eye because I wore I've worn all all different kinds of blue blockers. Um, I found that it was too much of a distraction to have to talk about it mm. with every patient when I was wearing yellow lenses or red lenses. I did not mind talking about it, but it just like ate up my whole day. So I found the Lucia eyes because I felt like, you know what? 
they're they look pretty normal. It's you can tell there's something different about them, mm-hmm. but I've been able to convince a lot of patients to then use those because it's still better than nothing. Yeah, I mean, we got together because of our fellow friend, our mutual friend who is a nurse, and I remember her saying you turned her whole health around. So was there a switch in hours perhaps that that had to happen or did you optimize her at such an early stage that it worked? Yeah, you know, I really feel like, you know, great, great case where, you know, youth, youth on her side a little bit, um, also not having to work the night shift necessarily. Um, she's fortunate that she can work like a 10 to 10 shift instead of having to work through the night. So a lot of it was focusing on getting to bed at as early of a time as possible once getting home from the shift and then waking up, maybe not always getting out at sunrise, but then getting out first thing upon waking. So again, it's not optimal, but when you can't necessarily do it as you should. And maybe you don't have as many like health issues or disease processes yet. You might be able to get by for a little bit of time not being perfect, but that if you set that circadian rhythm as early as you can every day, even if it's not at sunrise, it will still get you in that 24-hour rhythm. And then while you're working, blocking that blue light as much as you can, as as heavy as you can in that spectrum, and then getting to sleep as quick as possible. And then also considering, um, interestingly, when you're eating in that context, because you want to make sure you're eating when your body's at least experiencing that proper wake part of your circadian rhythm. So that's important to not then come home and then eat after that late shift and then go right to bed because that even eating when it's dark period, like you're supposed to really eat before it gets dark, right? Yeah. So perfect. Yeah. Perfect world would be only eat after you've experienced the, the light in the morning, eat when it's light outside, never eat when it's dark outside. That is the way our body is best tuned. You know, when I have patients that come in and they have a lot of disease processes, I really, really, um, I work hard to to convince them to do that. It's a tough thing. And I feel like not everybody's willing to get the A. They're okay with a B or a C. And, and I'm there to meet patients where they're at, but I'm always about giving them what the A looks like and then they can make the choice. But yeah, I feel like people like our mutual friend is, you know, she's, She's really conscious of how do I do as much right? Like knowing it's not perfect, but knowing that I'm, you know, okay at this point, I can get by maybe mm-hmm. making some suboptimal decisions because I'm I'm doing pretty good health-wise. I think that's a really relatable way to look at it is like how much good can I do to support my body? Because I know that anybody who's listening to this who is just totally healthy is like, hell no, there's no way I'm doing any of this stuff. But trust me, when you get dealt some diagnoses, you have much more incentive to go all in on this stuff like I did and then see rapid results um, because of it. And so it does work. I had to quickly come up with a solution for the hospitals and I think I have it and I want yeah. your uh, brain on this. So 
Kevin recently bought one of those daylight lights that you can get daylight. Um, okay, yeah. He's a consumer. And I feel <laughs> like he loves gadgets that will replace just the easy thing, which is going outside. <laughs> and the free thing, the free thing going outside. Anyway, um, I'm making fun of him, but I know he sits in front of a computer, so he likes that. So um, I feel like if they changed the lighting in these hospitals to that, because I think you approved of that little contraption. If they change the light to that, like daylight mimicking light in all of the hospitals, it would be great for patients and employees. And that would help them stay healthier. What do you think? So, yes, like we have to look at it as there's nothing like potentially bringing full light spectrum into the hospitals. I mean, even how we build our hospitals is just wrong. Like we're not really thinking about how the light's coming into the room, you know, north facing, south facing, all the things that we used to actually think about when hospitals were being built. You know, that's really gone to the wayside of how it, I hate to say it, probably how it looks, how beautiful it is, like the newness, all of those things. But there is a light specialist. His name is um, Dr. Alexander Wunsch. He actually talks quite a bit about circadian lighting and how we could do our lighting better. One tip that I think is genius that I actually want to incorporate into like my next house that I start from scratch is lighting overhead is also not natural at night that we should have lighting from the floor that would be more mimicking like like campfire lights, like the light that we would be experiencing potentially at night. But it's not just the spectrum. It's also where the light is. So think about it. Like at night, we're, we would never have lighting over our heads, right? But why are we not thinking about putting lighting that's heavier in the red spectrum, maybe at a lower level that wouldn't affect our our physiology as much? And Dr. Alexander Wunsch has kind of created some real good thinking points around that. I don't know if we've quite figured out the perfect spectrum. The most important thing is like like um, Kevin's device, ideally you're pairing that always with then a red light device as well. You don't want that heavy blue without the balance of red. Um, and we should also even be considering like how do we potentially get some UV in there too, which I know is such a, a challenging thing to talk about, but but we have never existed as humans without the balance of all of those light spectrums together. So why are we not actually thinking about that? We should. Like that would be healthy light for an indoor environment. So when you say balancing the light with the red light, are you saying having both on at the same time? Yes. Yes, actually. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, you sh- we really yes, for ideally for Kevin, tell him he yeah, should well. use his red light and his happy light at the same time. That's so funny. <laughs> um, you also have light bulbs in your house that are different kinds of light bulbs. What could we change our light bulbs to? Yeah. So I have light bulbs that are, um, they, there's a couple of features. One is that they have very little in the blue spectrum and they are also a low flicker rate. So there's there's two major parts to our, especially our LED technology that are so foreign to our body's health in that 
the heavy, so really high amounts of blue light that have all of the other color of light subtracted from it is really confusing to how our eyes are perceiving that light and and how the brain is therefore getting that message. But then the flicker, so part of the LED technology is that there's an on-off that to our naked eye, we don't realize is happening, but the on-off is what saves us, you know, energy. So we've created this technology to save us money. However, maybe on the other end, it causes more in health issues, right? But our eyes actually experience that and our brain gets confused with the flicker. So wow. if you had a, a device to, to measure it, there, there are some really cool devices that actually show you the flicker rate. And when you see that, you showed me it was wild. Oh, it's it's wild. You don't. Yeah. It's unfortunate we don't realize it. And of course, all of our lighting now is turning to LED, and you can realize like how blue that looks by, um, by actually if you look at lighting under red light, you realize how blue everything looks when the red light's on. But which I think you you experience, I think, in my red light at my office where like if you if you have your phone on in that red light, it looks like a blue blob. It's so bizarre. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the lighting I have in my house is it's tough, though, because most people love lighting and they want the brightness of lighting. So when when people come into our house, they'll say, oh, it's really dim in here. But but like I like the ambiance like it's, it's I like dim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it it has a different feel. And then it at least, again, helps us get by, unfortunately, um, Again, I realize like it's not perfect. I wish I could have a dark house. I I have a daughter who's like afraid of darkness. So, so we have to have all these little red light flashlights so she can go around the house and like headlamps. So that way at night when we turn everything off, she can still see. But we use those because it helps us at this time of the year. You know, yeah. when it's dark early, we're just not going to bed at 4.30. Now, I do go to bed early because when you're really tuned to the circadian rhythm like you, you want to go to bed early right? yeah, you're, the melatonin adds up yes. and says go to sleep yes I mean I can tell you I mean this is a this is a really like personal thing for me where I I, I you know I, so interestingly I started a CrossFit gym in 2017 and and my role in the gym, because this is not a business I own by myself but I have multiple partners my role in the gym was to kind of man the the nighttime. So when we opened the gym, I did my day seeing patients and then I would go there at night, spend at least a couple of hours there. And I hate to say that after a couple of years into it, I realized how terrible that was for my health. And it took a little bit of like doing, I, you know, do my own personal labs um, and then realizing something was not right. And and as I scanned through my life, I realized it was that light exposure at night. So the wrong time of the day, terrible lighting, flicker. It was actually really harming me more than the exercise was helping me. And and it took actually the COVID pandemic where we had to close the gym down briefly. It, it somewhat freed me of that schedule. And I had to really commit at that point to not going back because the three months of not going at night 
all about my biomarkers improved. So I had to see that it was a reality check where I think it's really important because sometimes we get used to doing things and and we may even love doing them. Like I, I really scan back and think I that was such a fun part of the day and getting to kind of work with with the the people at the gym and helping them out. And and it was kind of sad to have to let it go, but realizing that what's more important than your health, you know, truly you can find your own way. So I think we all have to kind of scan like what's happening in our day. What are we doing and what could be affecting us where you just don't realize it? Like I even thought I could get by with that exposure and it not cause me trouble because I honestly never felt that it was causing me any problems until I disconnected from it and then realized that it was in fact causing hidden issues, um, which I think is another important thing to think about is that, you know, just because you're young and healthy and feeling fine doesn't mean that there aren't things brewing that you can really, you know, turn, um, turn to the different path and actually redirect your health before anything becomes a problem. Yeah. I want to ask, since we went so deep into circadian, um, how, much of a difference. Like what are some of the amazing things you've seen with people really focusing on that? Cause I know Kelsey, by the way, you can jump in. Um, you have Kelsey working on this now. Yeah, it was so wild. I, and it was cool because Dr. Allison and I chatted last week. And so Monday I started my get up early, get my sunlight. And then Tuesday I didn't do it because I went to bed late Monday cause I was doing something. And I felt the difference in just those two, I literally had done it one day and I felt the difference. And it's so crazy because I think we're so conditioned to think like, oh, that extra 20 minutes in bed is going to make us feel so much better. And it just, it just does it. And for me, like it took that and actually feeling the difference to be like, now I know that extra 20 minutes is doing me nothing. Okay. Getting outside is truly game changing. So yeah, that was really eye opening for me. And how much better mentally do you feel Cause I hated waking up too. I, I know this. There were times I remember when I was going to extra, I mean, I was already miserable going there. What? Um, but I would do the same thing. I'd wait till the last minute and then I'd show up like 10 minutes late for hair and makeup. And now we have to rush faster because I know I can be a little late because we just have to move faster. But then all that anxiety and that stress, when, if you wake up and you're in nature and you ground, even for five minutes, you get that sun on your face and you say, today is going to be a great day. I'm telling you, it will be, and you will feel so great. And I was so excited that Kelsey got to feel that feeling because now that's something you can build off of, right? You can, once you just do it, you get in on anything and then you build off of the little wins and you're like, wow, that felt really good. Cause she used to do her evening walks and you made her change it to the morning, (laughs) (laughs) which my mom was very happy about for safety reasons as well. Hello, your (laughs) other mom too. Yeah, literally. They were all like, like, you're walking in the scariest place, LA with headphones on thinking that it's like totally like nice. Like it's in, you know, Connecticut or something. It's crazy here. So I was very happy about that too. (laughs) But it really was nuts. And I feel like people have to do it and experience what I felt because hearing Maria talk about it was not the same as like me actually experiencing it. And I'm telling you just the one day I felt the difference. It was so nuts. So amazing though. Our body is so quickly adaptable that that's the part I love about using circadian resetting as 
a health promotion tool is that it doesn't take long if you do it right. You know, so if you're truly doing it right, where you're waking up, physically getting outside, experiencing that light, the light is really what controls all of those hormonal messages in the morning, all of the neurotransmitter changes in the morning. So that whole stress response is actually affected by the light. Now, if the light you're experiencing is not outdoor full spectrum light, well, then how is that tuning your body? We know that the indoor blue light does quite the opposite. It affects our stress response pathways. The PVN pathways is the one notably affected. And that makes us feel more stressed. You know, is this part of why our entire culture is just so stressed out all the time? I sometimes will ask patients like, oh, how many sunrises have you seen, you know, recently? And no one ever says they've seen a sunrise. <laughs> like, it's just, they'll say, oh, maybe I went to the beach like one time in my 20s or something. Like, no one is out there to experience that sunrise. And and that's another good point is that you don't actually have to see the sun. The sun is a bonus, but you can just be outside at that time of sunrise. And that is almost good enough. And I can say that because... I have a lot of patients who are like, oh, I, I can't see the sunrise. So it's it's actually like pretty complicated for me to get in the car and like drive to a place to see the sunrise. That so, happened to me too. When I was first yeah. doing it, I was freaking out because I'm like, yes, but the sun where it's it comes out, it's not near me until like 8 a.m. And that's like an hour and a half after sunrise. So yes. I'm glad you're addressing that. Yeah, no, because like once I started analyzing like how patients were actually responding to just being outside, I was really encouraged to see that. You didn't actually have to see the sunrise. Again, I think there's something magical that happens when you actually do experience it. And and I encourage patients to, to seek that just to see how that feels. But the most important thing, like Kelsey said, is like you really have to experience it yourself. You can't. And, and that's a great point where I feel like I'm a teacher. I'm a translator of, of what what one's body is actually trying to tell them, but really ultimately I'm putting the reins in your hands. So that way, like you said, like you're the CEO of your health. I'm only here to help guide you. But once you experience it and realize that you're making choices that are actually impacting your deeper health, I mean, it's so rewarding and so motivating and empowering that you can't not do it. And, and we, our, our brain makes endorphins from that morning light experience. So we're built to be addicted to morning sunlight, but the problem is that people aren't experiencing it. So they don't realize that. All right, guys, we're going to cut that right there because it's a lot. And tomorrow we'll be back with part two, where we get into more of the dietary stuff, water, and a really important conversation around water and magnetism and grounding. Hope you join us. In the meantime, be nice people, make good choices, and be present.
Hey, Heal Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much, and we love doing this thing called life with you.